Welcome to Murder Bucket. I'm your host, Hannah, and this is the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. Good evening and happy Tuesday. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Cold Case Road Trip here on the Murder Bucket Podcast. Now, if you have been with us for the last 45 stops, or if this is the first time joining us, let me just briefly explain. The Cold Case Road Trip is a series that we have been doing since March, where we have been traveling to all 50 states, D.C., and five inhabited territories. We only have six episodes remaining in the series. Tonight, we will be traveling to the District of Columbia. But first, let's do our week-slash-weekend recap. Last week, I mentioned that I was a little bit congested, which I'm sure you could probably hear, and that's because my daughter was diagnosed with RSV and an ear infection last Monday. Wednesday, both my husband and I woke up feeling horrible. Our daughter graciously shared her cold with us. So Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, all three of us felt horrible. Finally, by Saturday, we woke up feeling much better. Even though we all still had slight coughs, we didn't have runny noses, we didn't have congestion, we didn't feel like somebody was pounding our heads against the wall, and it was glorious. That same day, I was able to go to the event at my church that I had talked about last week because, to be honest, I was extremely discouraged a lot last week thinking that I was going to miss this, but thank goodness I didn't, and I have to say, it was fantastic. We sang a few songs. We had a wonderful message given to us by our pastor's wife. We had fellowship with all the ladies in our church drank some delicious tea, and ate some wonderful food. So overall, I was very happy that the sickness had been taken out of our household and that I was able to go. Sunday, we decided to keep our daughter home for one more week instead of taking her to the nursery just to be safe. And then Monday was the dreaded Monday of waking up at the normal time, getting her dressed, taking her to my friend's house, and then going to work. But now, we are here, and you are hanging out with me on another stop on the cold case road trip. We will be traveling to just one location, but talking about two separate cases. So, without further ado, let's get started. Stop 46, the District of Columbia. On Sunday, August 12th, 1984, Barbara Dreyer drove to her 19-year-old daughter's house in Washington, D.C. to drop off her six- and nine-year-old sons in the early evening. She needed to go run an errand and was going to return shortly, but she never did, and no one has seen her since. Barbara drove a 1980 Burgundy Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. At the time of her disappearance, she was living with her estranged husband in Hillcrest Heights. 
This is a small suburb right on the southeast border of D.C. and Maryland. She was not reported missing until nine days later, around August 20th or 21st. Several days after her disappearance, her 23-year-old son, Anthony Blaylock, spotted a man driving her vehicle. He followed the car to an apartment complex in D.C. and watched the mysterious man go inside. Anthony had a friend riding with him, and he asked them to stay in the car while he went to a nearby home to call the police. When the police arrived, her son identified the man and he was questioned. He denied knowing Barbara and denied driving her car. Because her vehicle was not reported stolen, the police didn't arrest him. Instead, the police impounded the vehicle. Once it arrived, it was searched. Inside, police found a ski mask, gloves, rope, and several items belonging to Barbara in the trunk. Her family later discovered that the mysterious man had a criminal past. When he was 18, he pleaded guilty to killing a 23-year-old man and a 16-year-old girl. He was charged with abducting a woman from a bus stop and raping her a year after Barbara disappeared. But unfortunately, those charges were dropped. Now, it is possible that this man knew Barbara as police told the family that the man worked as a maintenance man for the D.C. public schools. The reasoning for this? Barbara had been a secretary over there for 15 years, and her estranged husband was the maintenance supervisor. In 2007, James Trainingham tried to assist the family by going over Barbara's case. He was a 17-year veteran of the D.C. Police Homicide Squad. He spent several hours trying to locate her file, but came up with nothing. A D.C. spokesman did confirm that her original file and missing persons report was lost and never gave an explanation as to what happened to it. In several reports, it is implied that the authorities did not take Barbara's case seriously because they assumed that she was just another victim of PCP, the drug of choice in the city at the time. None of the items that were found in the trunk of her car were recovered, but police did create a new file and assigned her a new missing persons report case number. James believes that whatever evidence the police did have in 1984 should have warranted an intense investigation. Her family believes that if the evidence hadn't been lost, it might have been possible to provide a vital DNA link or other clues linking to the disappearance to the man that Anthony had chased down. The D.C. jail put Barbara's photo and story on the back of playing cards that were distributed to inmates in 2009. Their hope was to catch a break in the case, but no tips were generated. Police offered a $25,000 reward in 2010 to anyone who could provide information that would lead to an arrest and conviction. Now, from 2010 until 2018, her case was silent across all media outlets. In the spring of 2018, 
a D.C. detective contacted Anthony that a construction crew had discovered skeletal remains of a woman in a crawl space in an apartment building in southeast D.C. During the search, police found two additional women. In an article on WashingtonPost.com, Anthony is quoted saying, I want closure, but I don't want her body to be one of those bodies under that damn ground. I'm just saying, I don't want her to have died like that under some damn building. After I did a little bit of research, I was unable to figure out if any of the remains were that of Barbara. Instead, I contacted the journalist that wrote the initial article in hopes that he would respond. Well, lo and behold, he did, within like five minutes to be exact, and he attached the article where the remains were identified. The three bodies that were found in the apartment complex belonged to Jewel King, Verdell Jefferson, and Dorothy Butts, who disappeared in 2006 near the apartment. One had been beaten to death and the other two had been shot. In one of his emails, he did state that they were unable to speak with any of the relatives of these three missing women. While that is unfortunate, at least they were located and identified. That is some closure, somewhere. Now, Barbara Dreyer grew up in the neighborhood of Parkside with her sister Gwendolyn Bell and two brothers. They were raised by their grandparents. As mentioned earlier, she was a secretary for the D.C. public school system for over 15 years. She had five children. Her son, Anthony, described her as a devoted but strict mother and doesn't believe that she would have abandoned her family willingly. Barbara was last seen wearing a green shirt and white pants. She was five foot two and roughly 130 pounds. If you have any information regarding her disappearance, I encourage you to contact the D.C. Metro Police or the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. Before we move on to the second case in tonight's episode, please listen to a word from our sponsor. These days, everyone and their cat has a podcast about the entertainment industry. Am I right? But few shows have as much fun doing it as Rico and the Man with Rob Tregler and Peter Martino. New Jersey meets California in this bi-coastal, hilarious show where two old college buddies take shots at all things entertainment. Rico and the Man is a laugh-out-loud look at Hollywood's past, present, and troubling future. With special guests, trivia, listener feedback, and comedy bits, this no-holds-barred podcast is the perfect distraction from your everyday troubles. I recently finished their episode called Spider-Man No Way to the Toilet, mostly because I was highly intrigued by the title. Now, I wasn't big into Marvel or DC comics and movies until I started to date my now husband. They mentioned that if you haven't seen the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, don't because it gives out way too many spoilers. For me, I don't like watching the trailers and I love to go in blind. Now, I also have to agree with them and say that Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire was my favorite. They have a great vibe together, even though they are on either coast 
and not side by side. Not to mention, they come up with some hilarious jokes, always keeping me laughing, which is needed during a stressful work week. With new episodes each week, Rob and Peter invite you to laugh along as they praise, pummel, and pick apart show business. Rico and the Man with Rob Tregler and Peter Martino is available wherever you listen to podcasts. So get out there and listen to a more entertaining take on the entertainment industry. And we're back to discuss the second case in tonight's episode. Eight-year-old Relisha Rudd, along with three younger brothers and their mother, Shamika Young, have been living in a D.C. homeless shelter in the former D.C. General Hospital for over a year in 2014. This was the largest shelter in the district at the time. It housed hundreds of families and young children. While residing there, the family befriended the janitor, 51-year-old Khalil Tatum. He had been hired by the Community Partnership for Prevention of Homelessness, a contractor which operated the D.C. General Shelter and other homeless programs. Tatum was known for inappropriately fraternizing with residents and for paying too much attention to the young girls. The shelter had a strict no-fraternization rule for their employees and were supposed to terminate anyone who broke it, but Tatum was never disciplined for his actions. Tatum began bringing the family gifts, such as a tablet, and once took Relisha to see Disney on ice. Over time, Shamika grew to trust Tatum, and on February 25th, she asked him to care for her. She wanted Relisha to be able to escape the conditions of the shelter, which were oftentimes filthy, chaotic, crime-ridden, and infested with vermin. By this time, Relisha had accumulated her fifth unexcused absence, and staff at her school tried to schedule a parent-teacher conference. Shamika failed to attend. There are several reports that Relisha was in school on March 5th and 7th, but her last confirmed sighting was on March 1st. This is when surveillance footage showed her and Tatum walking down a hallway at the Days Inn on New York Avenue in D.C. This footage proved to be the last proof that Relisha was still alive. On March 10th, the school contacted Tatum because her mother had previously sent a note stating that Relisha was under the care of Dr. Tatum. They called to request a medical reason and documentation for her continued absences. He told the school that he was treating her for a neurological problem and that she would be discharged by the end of the following week. As required by law, the school reported the family to the Children and Family Services Agency for educational neglect because Relisha had missed over 30 days that school year. They didn't consider this to be a high priority until a meeting was scheduled with Dr. Tatum and the social worker, and he failed to show up. The social worker then learned that he wasn't a real doctor. The police and the child abuse hotline were then called. When police and the social worker arrived at the shelter to try and locate Relisha, Shabika told them that she was with Dr. Tatum at a medical conference in Atlanta, Georgia. 
She went on to state that they left on March 8th and weren't expected to return until March 17th. Shamika told police that she didn't want to file a police report because she felt that Relisha was safe, but the police began a missing persons investigation anyways. The reasoning for this was that Tatum's wife was found shot in the head in a motel in Oxon Hill, Maryland on March 20th, and Tatum had a warrant out for his arrest. Their surveillance tapes showed Tatum and his wife entering the motel room the evening before. Police then learned later that he bought a box of 42-gallon trash bags and lime. These are things that can be used to speed up the decomposition of a body. They believe that he might have also murdered Relisha. On March 31st, Tatum was found in a shed in Kenilworth Park. He had shot himself with the same gun to kill his wife. There were no signs of Relisha. In 2017, the D.C. police named July 11th as National Relisha Rudd Remembrance Day. In January of 2019, police searched a system of tunnels underneath the building where the D.C. General Shelter was located. They had suspicions that Tatum had access to the service tunnels. Unfortunately, police found no evidence that Relisha had been there. In an article on WUSA9.com, Relisha's stepfather, Antonio Wheeler, is quoted saying, I actually believe that she is still alive. They just keep looking for a body, and every time they look for a body, you find nothing. So what did that tell you? I pray to God that she's alive, because I don't know what I'd do if she came up any other way but alive. The shelter closed sometime in 2019. Shamika was investigated by a grand jury for possible obstruction of justice charges because of her inconsistent statements about her daughter's whereabouts, but in the end, no indictments were issued. D.C. investigated the events that led to Relisha's disappearance and concluded that there was nothing more that either the CFSA or her elementary school, could have reasonably done, and there is no justifiable government actions that would have prevented Relisha's tragic disappearance. At the time, Relisha was last seen wearing a purple Healy Hanson jacket and pink boots. If you have any information regarding her disappearance, I would encourage you to contact the D.C. Metro Police. And that concludes the cases for tonight's episode. Now, before you go, I do have a special announcement. Coming up this Friday on September 24th will be Murder Bucket Podcast's one-year anniversary. Can you believe that you and I have been hanging out for almost a year? That just seems so wild to me. Anyways, I have decided that this Friday at 7 o'clock, I will be hosting a Twitter live event. If you would like to join, you are welcome. It is open to anyone and everyone. If we aren't friends on Twitter, you can find me at The Murder Bucket. Now, during this live, there won't be anything structured, so I will just be hanging out, 
answering questions if you have them, and just having a great time. So again, join me this Friday at 7 o'clock on Twitter Live for our one-year anniversary celebration. But before you go, please check out this promo from my friends at Across the Veil Podcast. Hello, hello, ghouls, ghosts, goblins, and everything in between. Welcome to Across the Veil with hosts Emma and Zelda. We're two amateur cryptozoologists on a mission to explore the things that lie beyond. Beyond what? I I, I don't know. The the veil? It it just sounds poetic and mysterious. True. Learn about cryptids, folklore, monsters, and things that are just kind of haunted. Anything that seems a little otherworldly and strange. Just like us. (laughs) New episodes out every Thursday on all of your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at across.the.veil and Twitter at acrossthevail1. We hope you join us next time. Across the Veil. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you have enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at MurdBucket, Twitter at The Murder Bucket, and Facebook at BucketMurd. Check out weekly posts regarding new episodes and chime in on the weekend slash week recaps. I would love to get to know you better. Have a great day!